0: welcome to the patriot pastors podcast i am your host harold smith and i'm flying solo my better half the other wing to this bird wade Lentz, uh who's usually here with me having a great discussion is a little under the weather and i may sound a little rough i didn't really have much voice sunday but i've gotten better Wade, on the other hand just can't seem to shake it he's got some some respiratory stuff i i forgot what it was called now but you know, he's a bass singer anyways, and now he sounds plumb demonic. You know, I mean, when you're a bass singer and then your voice gets really deep. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine that. Yeah. That's brother Wade today. So y'all keep him in your prayers. Pray that the Lord would get him, uh, get his voice back. And he's just been coughing. Get his, get him back to normal so he can preach come Sunday. Anyways, I'm here. I'm flying solo. I can't believe they trust me with the controls. I can't believe that. They would just let me do whatever I want. And that's what blows me away. Matter of fact, Wade still has editorial power on this. If you're hearing this, he must've been okay with it. Otherwise he would have scrapped it in the editing room because that's Wade's part of he ultimately uh, edits everything on the audio side and gets it uploaded. And if all that makes it to, uh, to, to Spotify and Podbean and all those places, then Wade must've. He must have just been really, really sick. He may be under deep medication, but I'm here today and I'm excited because I think I've got a great and pertinent topic today. And I watched my wife came in the living room the other day and she said, have you seen this documentary on the IFB? And I'm like, ah, man, I watch all kinds of documentaries. I mean, they've, there's 9 million things wrong with the independent fundamental Baptist movement. I'm sure I've seen it. She goes, no, it's like brand new it just came out and I said, no, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. She just kept going on. It's good. It's good. It's good. So I was talking to a couple other preachers about it and I said, have you heard this? They all knew it by name. But see, since I got off social media, I don't really, I don't really know what's going on in the world. I don't watch the news. I don't watch the local news. I don't watch the national news. And I'm not on social media. I'm just, I guess blissfully ignorant back here in the woods at my house. But evidently, other people know about this this documentary called Let Us Pray, and that's spelt P-R-E-Y, like pray on a victim. Let Us Pray, A Ministry of Scandals. This is a four-part documentary. It's listed as season one. I don't know if there will be more to it maybe next year, but I watched all four episodes And I want to talk about it. Now you can watch this on investigation discovery. Basically it's some kind of streaming platform. My wife turned it on. I don't really know how to get it, but I think you can, you get online, you can, you can Google it and you can find some way to watch. Let us pray. P R E Y a ministry of scandals. You can find that somewhere. If you've got some online streaming platforms, I think you might be able to get it on prime or something like that. I think that's what we watched it on, but anyways, it's free gotta get online and look it up. So what's it about? I want to I, here here's my outline for this this episode. I want to kind of give you a brief overview about what the the four-part documentary is about. And then I want to give you four or five takeaways um that I think we can learn from it. It is about the sexual and physical abuse, but primarily sexual abuse that has taken place in some independent fundamental Baptist churches. That's commonly from now on will be called the IFB. Now, when we talk about the IFB, these are number one, independent churches. So this is not a denomination. It's not like the Catholic church where if if a priest molested somebody, a bishop would move them and there's some hierarchy moving the preachers around. Independent means each church is its own entity and can do its own thing. It's its own governing body. So when we talk about the IFB, I don't want to, to say this is all IFB churches, or this could be true of all IFB churches. Since each church is independent, it's, you know, you could be in a great IFB church. And if, if you go to the center part of their, their name, fundamental, Then they they claim to hold to all the fundamental doctrines of the gospel. And then Baptists would dictate the kind of ecclesiology they hold. So back in the day when these guys first came around, the IFB or fundamentalists, as they were often called, were really staunch, conservative, godly people. But over time, that morphed into and I'm just this is not in the in the in the documentary, I'm just kind of giving you a little history here that morphed in kind of a tribalism, you know, like, like we're better than everybody else. And then when a little darkness or scandal showed up in the IFB, they had to cover it up to maintain that image that they had ragged on everybody else for not having when, when the cats came home or the chickens came home to roost it was true of them as well. So this group is, or this documentary includes a lot of information about a group called the blind eye movement. Now, the blind eye movement was started by one of the victims, uh, Ruthie. I don't remember how you pronounce her last name. Uh, Ruthie started this group, and basically, if someone turns a blind eye to something, they're ignoring it. And that's the whole premise of the documentary. The sexual abuse was going on, but it was in her church and in some other churches. It was being ignored or swept under the rug or even the victim's. We're being blamed for causing it. Now, all of this in the documentary is traced back to basically one mother church. And that mother church is the first Baptist church of Hammond, Indiana. And that church for years was pastored by none other than Jack Hiles. Jack Hiles went there and I think the late fifties, maybe early sixties, something like that. He went there. This was a Southern Baptist church. He pastored it. He led them out of the Southern Baptist church. He developed a system of what he called soul winning that he learned as a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. This is all history I'm giving you so you understand where we're coming from. He started what we know today as bus routes. You know, he would go around, they would gather up all these kids, they'd bus them in, and then he build himself as having the largest Sunday school in America. And Hammond, Indiana is just outside of Chicago, Illinois, so they would just go and bus in, this multitudes of kids from really poor parts of Chicago, then they had this giant Sunday school program, and that made him a national figure. Jack Howells wasn't always a godly man. Jack Howells had a lot of flaws. Jack Howells had a lot of skeletons in his own closet. Jack Howells was accused of a lot of sexual immorality. It was widely reported and widely believed that he had a lifelong affair with his secretary, and that even built a home for her just across, just around the corner from his own house, uh, split her and her husband up. For years, her husband was not allowed to live with her. He lived in their basement, and he was one of Jack's deacons. And so Jack Hiles is a master manipulator, and it, by all accounts and definitions, Jack Hiles is a cult leader. And the problem with cult leaders is they often have cult followings. So Jack Hiles is presented as kind of the, the centralized place where a lot of this abuse occurred. And they talk about abuse that his own son who was accused multiple times of rape, but always after the statute of limitations is worn out. And so what would happen is these guys, because of their power and their status, not all of them, but people in this movement were molesting and even raping young girls, grooming them, having, relationships with them you know weekly and regularly throughout their teens, and then threatening them you know you'll be ostracized you'll be kicked out you know you'll not be admitted here if you ever bring this up or question it and so they ruled with fear they ruled with threats they ruled with this this kind of instilled power in this cult-like following that they were in and so One of the people listed here is a pastor named John Jenkins who pastored in Gaylord, Michigan. Primary person in the first couple of episodes is Ruthie, who was molested by a youth leader in that church. And her older sister was molested by that youth leader. And another person came forward years later and said, I also was molested by that same youth leader. He was also a Bible teacher in their Christian school. The pastor knew that. So the pastor. Instead of turning him into the police and for an investigation, the pastor sent him off to Oregon and he went out there and pastored and worked in a church out there. Well, his wife was pregnant. He called back to a family that he used to, you know, be friends with and said, Hey, could you send your teenage daughter out for a couple of weeks while my wife has the baby kind of, you know, help babysit the other kids because she used to babysit them. And they flew her out there, 14 year old girl for two weeks. And this man raped her repeatedly. This was all documented. He went to prison in Oregon, but he got out in a couple of years. It's no big deal. He got out. And the problem was the pastor knew about the abuse before he sent him to Oregon. He allowed him to finish out his tenure as a teacher. If he would have addressed this when the accusations first came out, dealt with it in a legal manner. Because this is a crime. This is not a spiritual problem. This is not somebody struggling in their sanctification. This is a criminal thing. If he would have dealt with it, this victim, Ruth, wouldn't have been molested. And if it would have at least been made public knowledge, her mother wouldn't have sent her as a 14-year-old to Oregon to babysit for him while their, while his wife gives birth. But everything gets swept under the rug, hence the name Blind Eye Movement. And so it not only documents what happened in John Jenkins church there in, in Gaylord, Michigan, but then it transitions to Bruce Goddard as the pastor out in, I think it's Wildemore or something like that, somewhere in California. You could look up Bruce Goddard and find it pretty quick. So there is a lady that was groomed and repeatedly raped from the age of 15 till she got out of, well, till she told, uh, the pastor what was going on. And so this lady tells the pastor that, hey, look, for the last year and a half, the youth pastor's been raping me. And she feels guilty about it because she thinks that somehow it's her fault. He's manipulating her psychologically. You know, she comes from a bad home life. These people are really just sick, sadistic people. And what's happened here is she reports it to the pastor. The pastor calls her parents in, tells her, Tells their their the pastor or tells the pastor tells the parents that their daughter is, is the problem. The pastor's wife pulls the daughter aside and calls her a harlot, and she's ruined this man's ministry and ruined his family. They actually force a fifteen-year-old girl that's been raped for a year to write an apology to the youth pastor's wife because he's the victim, not her. None of this was reported to the authorities. None of it. And guess what? The pastor paid for a U-Haul for this man to leave within 24 hours. So everything goes away and gets swept under the rug. Where does he go? He goes back to Howells Anderson College, Hammond, Indiana, and the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Jack Hiles. He goes back there and works in that church or that college in some capacity. So it's swept away. This lady in California under Bruce, uh, under Pastor Bruce Gardner, her <laughs> I don't want to ruin all this for you, but I got to take kind of what's going on. You can watch it and tune in later and get all the, the details. But ultimately her brother-in-law becomes the youth pastor and he does the same thing. And guess what? It's all getting swept under the rug. Everybody's threatened. Everybody's told to be quiet. Everybody's is pushed back. The, the, the victims are blamed overall. This is a great documentary. So it covers, this stuff in California it covers this stuff in Michigan. then there's a girl who grew up in a in a boarding school in Missouri. Her parents actually ran it, and she details all sorts of of abuse from physical beatings to rape, sodomy, all sorts of uh, starvation, uh, locked in padded rooms um I mean it is this it's like a prison, a worst of prisons, and it's ran by the IFB movement. And Jack Hiles' son, I mean, Jack Hiles is gone, but his son David Hiles is on the board of directors for this kind of a boarding school, a, a female boarding school of all things. And then there are people who talk about how he raped them. And I mean, it's just like, there's, it, it just goes on and on and on. So overall, this is a great documentary. It, it is well laid out. Uh, the The narration's good. The videography's good. It's got great camera work. It's not like somebody running around with a cell phone, you know, and you got a bunch of shaky stuff. No, this is this is very well done, very tastefully done. And I'll say it's a much needed topic. We need more of this topic today. We need not not we need more of it done. We need more covering on this topic because when people sweep stuff under the rug, it is the job of the investigative journalist to pull it back out and make it known. And that way the victims can be. Uh, Encouraged to come forward because these victims are all afraid to come forward So it's a much-needed topic for a documentary because it's clearly happening on a much larger scale than any any of us imagine It's also in a much flawed movement the independent fundamental Baptist movement If this was one or two or three scandals, I mean, I think there's like I don't know eight million people in America identify as fundamental Baptist if there's eight million people out there, you're going to have pedophiles. Show me a city with eight million people in it, and I'll show you a bunch of pedophiles that dwell among them show me a show me a business that has eight million employees, and I'll say some of those employees are probably pedophiles. We just don't know it, but in the i f b this is number one a church, and it's not one or two. there are literally hundreds of these cases surfacing. And the problem is they're surfacing after the fact they're surfacing. Even though people knew the authorities were never notified. The only authority that was notified was the pastor. There were accounts of deacons walking in on some of this stuff happening in some of these churches and they're like, Hey, pastor, this was happening. Yeah, I know that guy, I I don't know what I'm going to do with him. I know what you do with him. When a man's raping a minor, you throw him in prison as long as you can possibly put him there. If there were a stiffer punishment, I'd advocate it, but it's a cover-up, and that's the problem. So it's much-needed topic. Uh, not everybody's comfortable watching this. Not something you want to watch with your kids, but something you definitely need to make your kids aware of. This kind of touching's is not okay, and that's what all of these girls said. They were all extremely naive. They were extremely innocent. They were in real strict families. None of this stuff had ever been discussed and everything was just assumed to be on the up and up. And so these girls, I mean, nearly all of them say, I didn't even know what was happening. I I didn't know what was going on. It didn't make sense to me because they didn't understand it. They were kept in the dark. And so parents, you, you need to make it clear to your children. If someone touches you here, I need to know about it, regardless of what they say. You're not in trouble because all these girls were threatened and told that this would be the problem. So there's much to learn from it. I've got basically four or five things I want to tell you that we should take away from this. Number one, you're never going to fully stop or prevent the predatory nature of these people on children. And the reason being, now I'm not saying we shouldn't make protocols, I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions, But this kind of stuff's going to happen because sick people live in this world because sin reigns in this world. Sin infiltrates every man. And the church is called to be salt and light. And salt retards, slows down, prevents rot. Light illuminates darkness. When the church ceases to be salt and light, decay and darkness creep in. In these fundamental churches, that's what happened. They've They claim to be gospel preaching churches, but they vacated the gospel. They vacated doctrine. They're more concerned with public appearance. They're more concerned. Well, how will this look in the community than they are with the truth and the protection of the sheep under their care. Therefore, you're never going to fully stop this anywhere. There's a large group of people. There's going to be pedophiles. We see them in public schools, coaches, teachers, anyone in power who has access to children, this is going to happen. Many of these people seek jobs where they have this kind of access to children so they can do the wicked, wicked sinful things that their body desires. So sin is real. Victims are going to be everywhere. You're going to see this in public schools. Okay. You're going to see this in homes. I mean, we not going to, we see it in public schools. We see it in homes. We see it in, on the job. We see it anywhere these sick people encounter kids, the opportunities there. We're never going to fully stop that because these people exist. But what we can do is have a zero tolerance policy. That's number two. What do we learn from this? Zero tolerance on this kind of an accusation. We must report all of these accusations. You say, brother, I don't think this guy would have done anything. I don't care if somebody's reporting that. Let the cops decide whether it really happened or not. Yeah, but I always hear about these people that were falsely accused. But you hear more about people that were afraid to come forward. You hear more about people who did this for years and got away with it because no one confronted them. If you are a good, honest, upstanding uh, citizen in this country and you love the Lord and you take precautionary steps not to put yourself in these situations, the odds of you being accused of this are slim to none. And if they were by some false accusation uh, brought against you, your good record should clear your name. But in all of these cases, it wasn't just one accusation. It was multiple accusations. Many people were saying this and the problem that I see, the big problem here is that these guys turned a blind eye to it. They drug their feet. They didn't want to call the cops. There can be absolutely no cover up in sexual abuse. No cover up. There shouldn't be any cover up in any kind of illegal activity. But this is not the secretary stole a hundred dollars. This is a child has been emotionally wrecked for the rest of their life at the hands of a man that they trusted as a spiritual leader. No excuse, no cover up, but our church will look bad. Your church will look worse. If this surfaces in seven years, your church will look worse if this guy goes on to do this to other children. So this is a zero tolerance. This is no longer a a ministry matter when someone in the church is accused of this, this becomes a criminal case. The police department handles this. Let me put this in perspective for you. If somebody in your church shot someone, would you say, "Hey, roll them up in the in the front door rug and go bury him in a shallow grave, or would you say "Call the cops?" You'd say, "Call the cops." Well, I'm here to tell you that child abuse sexual child abuse is on the same level as murder in my book. Therefore, this is a criminal case, zero tolerance. I does not matter if you're the pastor, you're somebody in the pew. If you're somebody in the pew and you go to the pastor, as many people did in these cases here, the pastor swept it under the rug, told them to be quiet, told them they deal with it, handled it in another way. Can't happen. You're going to stand before a holy God and give an, given an answer for how you did not protect your own sheep. And how you hurt the other people's sheep and other churches by sending that guy down the road. So mandatory reporting means that when someone leaves your church, you report that if they try to show up in another church and go back to work. You say, brother, that that seems kind of harsh. I've done it not for child molesters. I had a church in Illinois call me about a guy that used to pastor the church I was pastoring. They said, What can you tell us about him? I said, Ma'am, he was here 13 years before me. I never knew him. Well, what can you tell me about him? Well, he ran off with another woman he met on the internet. Really? Yeah, he didn't put that in his resume that he left this church because he was having an affair with someone else he had met on the internet. No, he didn't put that on his resume. The next day, guess who called me? That pastor. And he said, How dare you tell them that? I said, How dare you put us on your resume? If you're going to go commit public, grievous, crimes that would prevent you from the work of public ministry. Don't expect, and I know about it, don't expect me to sit on my hands and shut my mouth. And that should go for every single one of us that know what's happening. And we shouldn't just wire it to the next church. We should take it to the police department. Number three. So you're never going to fully stop this. We can take all kinds of steps to prevent, you know, girls being alone with men and, 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 and vice versa. But these guys find a way to get this stuff done. They're just sick people. Number two, there's zero tolerance. Number three, we need to distance ourselves from ministries that this is a reoccurring theme in. If you know of a ministry that is got accusation after accusation after accusation over the years, do not be recommending the men that are affiliated with that ministry. Distance yourself. Look, good godly ministries are not charged with with sexual accusations over and over and over, unless they're sexual accusations, unless those things are happening. Well, they've never been condemned, they've never been convicted. Where there's smoke, there's fire, and this is what we need to do. We need to have a, a, a distance from these people, because there's constantly smoke there. This is what happened to Howles, Jack Hiles. This was public knowledge, I, I mean, the deacon that that was his wife was sleeping with jack house went on public television he said what was going on but the people in the cult were so wrapped up in the cult they they wore t-shirts that said 100% 100% behind jack house well his son david house had all kinds of stuff leveled against him 100% didn't matter 100% behind him well guess what jack house went to a grave and his son-in-law that was married to his daughter became the pastor that that replaced him. That man spent several years in prison for taking an underage girl across state lines to a motel room for sex. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That man was the youth pastor and the associate pastor, at the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. He becomes the pastor and he gets caught with a 17-year-old girl across state lines. It's a grown man, a girl from their school. Friend, listen to me. If you were still in that movement and following that movement after all the smoke that's been coming up that chimney, shame on you. If you've recommended that school, if you've recommended that ministry, if you recommended their material, shame on you. There are good godly ministries out there that don't have all of these, these accusations attached to them. And when an accusation comes up, they they openly and honestly deal with it. The, the righteous need not fear. We don't have to cover up. We've not done anything wrong. If you're seeing a reoccurrence of these accusations in any ministry, get out of that ministry, find you another circle of friends, find people that are open and honest and deal with it and never, ever be, well, I'm a hundred percent positive. He wouldn't do that. I'm a hundred percent positive. All men are sinners, and all men are capable of committing sin. Even saved men. King David is exhibit a. There was a man after God's own heart that ended up committing adultery and murder. All of us struggle with sin. Every man could commit a sin. So quit saying you're a hundred percent on something you really have no knowledge of. You're seeing this over and over. Get away from it. Number four, the reputation of the church is at stake. What keeps these guys from reporting this oftentimes is the reputation of the church. That's what many of them said to the victims. Hey, look, if, if we make this public, it's going to kill our church. We we'll won't have to. We will be able to have the bus route. We won't be able to pick up kids anymore. If this guy gets listed as a pedophile, he won't be able to work with children anymore. Bingo. <laughs> That's kind of the idea here, friend. We don't want him to do this anymore. This is wrong. But they're so concerned that it might immediately hurt their church that they're saying the reputation of the church is at stake. Let, let me tell you something. How we handle this will ultimately determine the reputation of the church. Any church could have a pedophile creep in under its doors, unaware. Any church can have a pedophile come in and nobody know it. But once the pedophile has been identified, he must be swiftly removed because the church's reputation is at stake. The Catholic church has a reputation of their priests being pedophiles because some of them have molested children. Okay, that really happened. But because the Catholic Church swept it under the rug and moved those men around like chess pieces to keep them hidden and allowed them to keep doing it and never dealt with it. Now, the Catholic Church has the reputation of being full of pedophiles, when in reality, it was just a handful of bad priests. The same could be true for the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Not all those pastors are bad. I know some of them. They're great godly men, but they won't call out the other people because their reputations are at stake. So how we handle this is ultimately the reputation. And if there's so much as an inkling, a shred of truth, we need to hit this head on. And if there's any real thing to it, if there's any any remote evidence that it could be real, it goes to the authorities. The police department needs to come investigate this. Prosecuting attorney needs to come investigate this, not the pastor and the deacons. Our reputation is at stake not only in how we handle it, but also in how we comfort the victims. Many of these victims were ostracized in not only that church, but in other churches for what they said about pastor so-and-so, what they did there. These people should be comforted and consoled, not condemned because they were children that were sexually abused by men in religious leadership. The real victim here should be the guys, Uh, the real punishment here and the real condemnation should be to the men that abuse their power and abuse their authority and abuse these girls. They should be made a public example of this. is My fifth and final thought on this, the takeaway of it. It's not that the IFB is bad. It's not that, you know, any group that has a pedophile in it is bad. That's not evidence of bad. That's evidence of people there. But number five, we need to take steps to prevent this kind of, hero worship. We need to take steps to prevent this kind of elevation of one person to above reproach. The Bible says that pastors must be above reproach. That doesn't mean above approach. You ought to be able to approach these people. You ought to feel comfortable approaching them. All of these people were afraid to approach him. They were pr- afraid to approach leadership because they were worried about how they would be treated. If you're in a church where the pastor is a bully and strong-arming the people. Get out. He's not a man of God. He's a servant of Satan, manipulating and controlling people under the name of God. Get out. Get in a church where the church is the authority. Not a little group of elders over here running everything. Not one man sitting over here on a pedestal with a bunch of staff members around him. Get in a church where the church is the authority, because that's who Christ said had it. He said the church will make these decisions. Get in a place where the people are accountable to one another. Don't go to a church where there's one person that everybody ooze and awes over, and, oh, there's our great and glorious leader. No, no, no. Get in a church where you're all humble servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, working together, accountable to one another, bearing one another's burdens. That's what a healthy church is. Healthy churches don't cover up scandals. Healthy churches don't allow wolves to prey on sheep. Healthy churches deal with wolves as soon as they get a sniff that there's a wolf in the sheep pen. And that's the way it should be. So thank you guys for listening. If you're interested in this kind of thing, you want a fuller uh, explanation, it's a very good documentary. I don't think it's appropriate for young kids, not because of anything you'll see, but just the conversations you're going to hear. The way these, these women were treated, the things that were done to them, it's sickening. It'll make you mad. I was mad. <laughs> I'm still mad. I'm mad enough that I'm going to do a podcast about it. I'm mad enough that I want people to know about it. I'm mad enough that if we so much as suspect someone's doing this, we look into it and we hand it immediately over to the authorities. That's the way these should be handled. Good, honest men are not going to fall victim to this. If you've been doing something wrong, if you've been trying to cover up stuff, if you've been inappropriate, if you've been too close to kids, don't be surprised if you start getting accused of that. But if you take steps to limit your alone time with children, with women, with other ladies, like any good pastor should do, these accusations will never ever have any sticking power to them because you haven't done anything wrong. The Lord will protect you from that. I can tell you a fella in the Bible that was falsely accused. His name was Joseph. He was thrown in prison. He went through a dark time after that, but he was ultimately elevated and vindicated. And so it will be with you preacher. If you've not done anything wrong, just be open, honest, and upfront. And if you have a life that demonstrates that with not accusations falling around, you shouldn't have any problem with any of this. But if you've got ministry people that are Wrapped up in this, if you got people that are back in Howells Anderson College, I would be concerned about them. If you've got people that are big Jack Hiles supporters, I would be concerned about them. It's too much smoke there, too many fires coming in and out of that, that place for me to so much as recommend them for anything. Thank you guys for listening today. Pray for Pastor Wade. Pray he gets better between now and Sunday. Pray he gets back on his feet. I'll see you guys on the next one. May the Lord richly bless you.